The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. God announces his arrival to nobodies, to common laborers. God immediately becomes a refugee, being chased by a power-hungry ruler who wants to kill him. God is not for the strong, he's for the weak. Not for the rich, but the poor. Not for the popular, but the forgotten, the rejected, the despised, the marginalized. He's not for the beautiful, but for the common, the ugly, and the disfigured. And that is his glory. He's for you. In his glory, he was rejected. But yet he came to transform and redeem a people. And he's come to transform downtown church. This Advent season, what we hope is, is that as we go through this series, the hearts, the lives, and the mind of our people are transformed inside and out. He came so that we may be redemptive change agents, transforming our church, our community, from every aspect of what we do in ministry. And here's the glory. When he came, he came to a people who rejected him, who did not receive him, but yet he still loved them. When we come together, let us come transforming the hearts and the lives of one another, but even the hearts and the lives of those who do not receive us. That is the glory. Um, so as we go through this series, one of the things that I want us to understand is that Advent is not as beautiful as we make it. It was beastly and cruel. It was gruesome and ugly. This wasn't something that uh, we can make beautiful simply by thinking Jesus was born in a luxurious hospital or that he and his family were treated appropriately. In fact, they were rejected. And that's what we will talk about this morning is the glory of rejection. When we see our text in John 1 and 11, we see that Jesus came to his own people and he was rejected. They did not receive him. But Jesus, they did not steer him away. As we heard throughout this worship service, he pursued. We understand that the gospel is about him loving us in that way. And so that's what I want us to pay attention to this morning to some degree. Before we go to God's word, let us pray. Father, I thank you. We love you for your mercy and grace. We thank you, Jesus, that you are one that continues to be with us. Allow your spirit to be saturated in the hearts and the minds of your people within these walls. Lord, I pray that you think with my mind and speak with my mouth. Allow the words of my heart, of my mouth, be in the meditations of uh, my heart be acceptable in your sight. Our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Listen, everybody in this room has received rejection. One way or another, all of us has experienced rejection. But the question is, why do we fear rejection? 
Why do we as individuals, knowing that we will experience rejection every day of our lives, why do we fear rejection? We can all concede to the fact that rejection shows no partiality. It is not showing favoritism to the popular and the unpopular. Rejection does not care who you are. The reason it cuts so deeply is because it conveys a dis, uh, a devaluing of the person, of the individual. It is not loving. It is not caring. It is not acceptable. It is not accepting. Rejection can lead to disappointment, to low self-esteem, to hurt and anger. No matter who you are, you don't want to be rejected. You want to be accepted. This is why in our society, particularly amongst our young teenagers, we see that gangs are so prevalent and so warm and welcoming because they will accept those who are being mistreated, those who are being denied. And that many people, those young people that are being denied by the church, that are being denied by communities, that are being denied by systemic issues, the gangs are willing to accept them. We also understand predators give false hope to young teens and others also trying to accept them or give them this accept them because they have been taken advantage of and rejected. Also, we know it is hard for some of us to accept the fact that God, a universal loving God, wants a relationship with us. The God of the universe wants a relationship particularly with you. How can that possibly be when my mother and my father rejected me? How can it be when my own community or my own brothers and sisters do not care and love for me? I can't understand how a God will love me. Because I've been rejected. I don't understand how this God can accept me. Why does he want a personal relationship with me? I'm a single mother. The man of my children, he doesn't want me. I've been divorced. Nobody cares about me. I won't be accepted. I will be rejected because of the status of my life. I will be rejected because of the outcome of what it looks like. We're judged. We're not accepted. And this hurts. It's hard to believe that Christianity within itself has rejected many because of false theology and heretical and biblical wrongdoings. And so even ethnic groups do not want to be a part of Christianity because they don't believe that it's a religion for all individuals, that it is all-encompassing. In fact, people think that it segregates. People think that it divides and it cuts. Christianity within itself is deemed as a religion that does not accept but reject. It hurts. And people have been abused by truth and wronged. So, so many of us fear rejection. And we try to prove ourselves. And many times that leads to appeasing or compromising our faith and our beliefs. And we get in ethical issues because all we want to do is be accepted. But far too long, we've been rejected. And I want you to listen to this. We've been hardwired by societal norms. That the notion that someone loves us or accepts us is far beyond our comprehension. And it, 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 in fact, it imposes and it makes us feel uncomfortable because it means that we must trust someone else. We must trust authority. We must trust structure. We must trust church leaders. We must trust the people that are around us. But it is hard to do so. But I want you to hear this, brothers and sisters. 
I want you to hear this, young people. I want you to hear this, those who are not believing. That Jesus knew that his own people were rejecting him. Listen, but Jesus came for a reason. And Jesus came to be rejected so that we may be accepted. Jesus came to be rejected so that we may be accepted. The core of of the Advent message and the glory of rejection is just this. Is that Jesus came to be rejected that we might be accepted. And this morning the text is important for us to grab a hold of because it gives us hope. An eternal hope. There's nobody else that can give you this hope, ladies and gentlemen. There's no job. There's no, no girl. There's no man. There's no amount of alcohol. There's no amount of drugs. There's no amount of money. There's no amount of material possession. There's no amount of stability that can give you this hope. There's only this in Christ Jesus. And so I want us to ask four questions this morning. One, who came? What did he come to? What did he come for? And why did he come to be rejected? The first one is, who did, who came? Well, first of all, we understand and using any kind of exegetical or uh, homiletical skills in terms of reading and breaking down your text, you gotta look at the surrounding context. That what John is writing here, he says, who came in verse one, he says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And we see that Well, if the word came, John is telling us something. And as Don Carson says in the NIV study Bible notes, he expounds on the word's prominence and what it came for. God's word in the Old Testament was so powerful. It was the self-expression of creation, revelation, and salvation. Jesus personifies then the word as God's ultimate self-disclosure. It is this word that actually tells you who God is. It is this word that actually harkens back to the fact that it was God who spoke the world into existence. And we see this in the readers in themselves. The Jewish readers are captivated by this because it's in Psalms 33, 6 and 9 where it says, By the word, the Lord, uh, uh, by the word, the Lord had called the heavens to be made. And he spoke and it came to be. It was also by this word he, re- he revealed himself to Moses in the midst of the wilderness. It was by this word that he delivered Israel out of the bondage. It was by this word that he was able to speak to his children as they were trying to find their way throughout the wilderness. It was by this word that manna fell down from heaven. It was by this word. And when we understand that it was by this word, we see that Jesus doesn't come in splendor, in majesty, in glory. He doesn't come in his finest. Let me dumb that down just for a minute. He doesn't come with all of what he can. He don't come with Dolce and Gabbana. He didn't come with, uh, what is it, Louis, Louis, whatever that thing is. He didn't come with Gucci. He didn't come trying to wear red bottoms. He didn't come trying to wear the newest and latest. He didn't come trying to wear all of his bling. He didn't come trying to flash all of his cash. He didn't have a money phone to his ear. That's what he did not come to do. But yet Philippians 2 reminds us that Jesus came. Christ came to humiliate himself. In his humiliation, it was not only to the cross. We have to remember that it was in that feeding trough. The beastly and cruel reality of the fact that Jesus came to wrap himself in human flesh. It was before the cross when he was humiliated. 
It was when he walked as a man. It was when he was born of his parents. We also see that Jesus, when he came and formed himself in human likeness, that he gave up something. It was in, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, that for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for you, for your sake, he became poor. So that by his poverty, you might become rich. It is hard for us to understand that reality. It's hard for us to understand what it meant for Jesus, the incarnate Lord, to come. And it was in some aspects a requisite of him coming that he had to give up something. Because his glory was so much. They would overwhelm us and we would not be attentive to the fact of what it meant. Or what it meant to be a believer. And so they were distracted. They didn't understand why would this Jesus come leaving the 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 harmony and peace that he had within the Godhead. That trinity. He left it to suffer poverty. He left it to suffer the cross. Born of poor parents. Hunted as an infant. Homeless and mistreated. Jesus came because he knew that we needed him. That was the promise, Genesis 3.15, that he would come. See, I I want y'all to understand this, that the word of God came to give us truth of who you are. Because so many of us are deceived into what society says we are. I remember, and I have a passion for young men and uh, men in general who have a a, a grudge against the church. Because I know the manliest man... It's Jesus Christ himself. And so when I see that in our own masculinity that we want to be tough and we want to show who we are. We want to be able to be uh, strong and we want to be able to show society that we won't be weak. And so what we do is we lash out. And we try to buff up our chest. But what Jesus says is that that's not why he came. See the reality is and the truth is is that you are valued. You don't have to be tough. You don't have to be somebody that you're not. And I think even for my sisters who have listened to society and tried to demean them, it is all throughout the news and where we see women have been sexually harassed in all of these particular areas in, in, in society, in, in, in the corporate America, in Hollywood, even in the church, <laughs> has devalued our people. And what Jesus has come is to tell you that you are not devalued. You have worth. Amen, somebody. Y'all going to leave me in here by myself, but I'm going to talk anyway. Because it's preaching to me. Jesus came so that we may come. We come knowing that we are poor. We, we have nothing to offer. We became, he became poor and so that we may spend our lives becoming poor. This is at the heart of Advent. Look at Isaiah 55 and 1 where the prophet says, Come all you who are thirsty, come to water, come to the water. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. That just blows our mind because how can you buy something without nothing? It's because he already made provisions. I remember when me and my wife, when I first came to Memphis... You know, we were broke and we didn't have anything. Uh, in fact, somebody broke in our house one time, took all our little old stuff. 
right? <clears throat> so I wanted to take my wife out. I think it was, uh, I think it was like uh, Valentine's Day. And uh, somebody said, well, well, take her to Sweetgrass. Take her, take her there. Just take her on out. And so I said, well, you know, I'm, I'll get my little coins together. Take my little old wife out. Okay, we may, we may eat ramen noodles for another three weeks. But so we went. But what, you know, the beauty was that we, we went in. We, I said, baby, you get whatever you want. And I'm looking to mirror you. And I'm saying, I'm going to just get the appetizers. <laughs> you, you get whatever you want. It's all about you tonight. And so the bill came. And uh, I mean, no, the waitress came. I'm sorry. And she said, I said, well, I'm, I'm ready for the check. I'm bracing myself, right? And so she said, oh, you don't worry about it. What you mean don't worry about it? You want me to walk out of this place and not pay for my food? She said, it's already been paid for. It is the same person that told me to go, took care of our meal. And so the reality is, is that he told me to come, come by without anything. I didn't have nothing. And it was paid for. Sometimes it is hard to get our minds around that. And every time we talk about the gospel, brothers and sisters, we need to jump out of our seats because what he did on the cross was something that we cannot pay for. I don't care how much money you have in your pocket. I don't care how wealthy you are. I don't care how broke you are. You cannot pay for it. But we strive trying to make our own peace. This pseudo shalom. We strive because what we do is work so hard to maintain a middle class life. Or to, 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 to uphold a particular perspective. What we do is we live in silos. We create our own neighborhoods. We have our own friends. We join our own clubs. We begin to accommodate our lifestyle according to how we desire it. And if society or things don't accommodate to it, i.e. the church, if we don't have the best children's ministry, the best nursery, the best hospitality, if we don't have it all together, then if it's not accommodating, then we want to leave. We don't want to be a part of a body that can't accommodate our needs. We don't want to be a part of anything that can. And so what happens is all of Advent becomes about what we desire. Think about our youth. What is my Christmas list? I remember when we got MJ something for Christmas and the boy started playing with the box. I said, if I would have known this, I would have just told him, take it out the box. And just give me the box. I'll pay 75 cents for it and I'll take it home for him. But he, within himself, even desires to get these temporal toys where I am trying to lead him to an eternal hope. Parents, we stress about what we are going to get our children and what we can and cannot afford. Not pointing our children to the fact that, you know what, it is not about what you get. I won't spend my life breaking the bank. I will spend my life giving. And Advent, as J.I. Packer said, it should remind us that our whole lives should be principled about making ourselves poor. That is spending being spent. To enrich, uh, to enrich our, uh, our neighbors and our friends and our family, our church community, giving our time and our resources, caring and being concerned about the needy, to do good for others and not just our own friends, to give whatever's needed of ourselves. So many of us struggle trying to fit church into our life. I, I, I always, I like old heads, okay? I like old folks because they always keep it in perspective. And so the phrase was Saturday Night Live, Sunday Morning Dead. Meaning that if we 
Say, I can't wake up enough to go to church, or I can't get there on time, or you aren't going to bed. You put your children down so you can get a break, but you don't go to sleep. Mm. Because church is being fit around our lives. Christmas, Advent is being fit around our lives. It has is, is lost its potency. Church, Christianity, our, our lives should be dictated by Christ. And so he came. Who came? It was the word that came. What did he come for? He came to his own home. You got to look at the Greek and what you have to realize is when he first said he came to his own, the NIV does a little bit better job. He says he came to his own and his own did not receive him. The ESV translates it by, um, by, by, by the neuter in the, in the masculine saying that in the own, first own, it was things or possession. And then the second own kind of hinted towards a particular people. And so the first own, what did he come for? He came to his own property. Remember, <clears throat> I remember a story of my sister. I always tried to stay out of the way of my mother because she didn't play any games. For a little while, it was just me and my mother. She was a single mother, and it was it was all I had, and she was all I had, and I was all she had. And but she remarried uh, to my stepfather, and uh, my sister came along, and uh, but she was uh, a bit hard-headed after a while. And so when I, I would just cringe when I hear her uh, jump out of the shower, and my mother catch her. And, and give her a spanking out of the shower. Y'all, y'all know nothing about that. that. That's a whole nother technique about spankings and punishment. Wait till they get wet and jump out of the shower and give them a spank. That's, that was mind blowing. That was mind blowing. So, so my mother, she didn't play. So my sister said, well, get out of my room. Right? They were arguing one day. My mother said, oh, get out of your room, huh? She began to take all of the clothes out. She took out the blankets and the sheets off the beds. And she said, what you doing? She said, if I got to get out of here, you got to get out of here. I said, I'm going to use that on MJ. As soon as he tell me to get out, I'm going to just put him outside. No bag. He said, you, you get out. That is what Jesus came to. You got to look at verse 10 to see that it says that he was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. Jesus came to a world that he made and that was made. We see in verse 3, all things were made through him and without him was was not anything made that was made. It could not be made without the creator. And so the word came and the fact of the matter is that it was rejected. In fact, it wasn't even known. This is what he means. Jesus came to his own property. He came on his own grounds. And then what was ha- what happened was he couldn't kick up his feet. He couldn't relax because or, or he wasn't welcomed. He wasn't greeted. Could you imagine going home and, and no one and you to your family that you've been with for so long, but they didn't know. They didn't even know who you were. You're the one paying the bills, keeping the lights on and they pay you no attention. You are a stranger because they did not know you. This is what Jesus is saying. The world did not acknowledge him. They did not recognize him. Essentially, he came to his own land as a stranger. The irony. But Jesus came in order that he may state his claim. That's what he came to. What he came for is a treasured possession. It's you. You you see throughout the Old Testament, God refers to his treasured possession, not just as a random piece of jewelry or a treasure left in the museum, but he came to his treasured possession to keep close to his heart. 
It was his prized jewel. We are his prized jewel. And when you understand that, it gets back to the fact that you have value and you have worth and you have honor. See, I just had a brother ask me, Mike, what do you talk? What do you mean by black Hebrew Israelites? What do you mean by Pan-Africanism and Egyptology or Moore's Temple Temple of Science? What you realize is that when the nation of Islam was so huge in the African-American community, men that were treated, speaking down upon and treated unfairly by the system, what it gave them was a sense of value and worth. And so Christianity, it had it within its own theology, the Imago Dei within itself, but yet they found that value in other principles. And so the fact, what Jesus is saying is, there's nothing else in this world that can give give you the value that I give you. Because you were created in my image. And in my likeness, you are my prized possession. And so now in context, John is referring to the Jewish community. But... This is applicable to the entire covenant community, which is us. And the issue is that the people had a track record of being defiant. We see this in Jeremiah 7, 25 through 26, where it says, From the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt, this uh, to this day, I have uh, persistently sent all my servants, the prophets, to them day after day. Listen to this. Yet they did not listen to me. Or inclined their ear, but stiff, stiffened their necks. They did worse than their fathers. God continuously pursued his people and they continuously rejected him. But he desires to redeem them. That's why he came. That's what he came for. He didn't come for people that were already together. He came to a broken and needy people, a people whose hope of humanity was ruined, a people who needed a hope of assurance and pardon, a people who needed a hope of peace and shalom, a people who needed the hope of glory. God came, the word came for a needy people that are his treasured possession. Y'all tracking with me? Uh, I want y'all just to indulge me on this last question. Why did he come to be rejected? I was looking at a story a couple years ago. And oftentimes you have to remember we're wired by our societal norms, right? So we reject certain things. Well, there was this African-American family that adopted a white daughter. Gasp, some of us. But the parents, Mark and Terry, were thrilled. Why? Because they adopted Katie. They had their own daughter. This was who they wanted to share their love with and and pour out love to this orphan child. And as they did so, they ran into a couple bumps in the road. There were several times when Mark, the father, African-American brother, scolded Katie in public, attracting sharp glares from strangers who didn't think that they were well-intentioned. Terry, his wife, a 37-year-old African-American woman, thought that they said, she said, he thought they, had, they would be lynched in times by the way that people would stare at them. Also, it says that the time when well-intentioned shoppers followed Mark and Katie out of the mall to make sure that they weren't kidnapping their child. Or when would-be heroes would come up to Katie to, in the cereal, ask, in a cereal aisle and ask, are you okay? As if they were inadequate parents. Even though Terry was standing right next to her daughter. This was tough. Because even though society suggests that we're integrationists, the norms reject 
that notion. This family adopted this little girl, but they suffered the backlash. I think this applies in some sense to the same thing because this little girl who was put and rejected in foster homes and had nowhere to live, she was adopted. In our own theology, we have to understand that we have been adopted. Children adopted by God, by the Father. That's why the word came. Now, I also think about another aspect that, that's kind of hard for us to grasp, but a lot of us have been talking uh, lately about evangelic, uh, white evangelicalism and the mass exodus of minorities out of it. I, I would say this, and please do not email me, but if there are mass a mass exodus of minorities leaving white evangelicalism, please don't take it as if they're leaving the church. It is a dominance. We should be surprised and we, our minds should be blown away at the fact that even African Americans today can hold on to the truth of the gospel, though that it was used to abuse them. Uh, it was Howard Thurman in his book, The Disinherited Jesus, where his grandmother, who came from the plantation, said these words, please, baby, don't read any of the New Testament, uh, of Paul's New Testament to me. Because that's what the slave owners, the slave owners read. On the plantation. I mean, it, it, it blows my mind that she even still trusted Jesus. So I figured that if there is a literal or figurative mass exodus from something that is causing so much oppression, we ought to be on that same boat. Rejecting the societal norms in order to be Christians. To be the true body of Christ. But see, this is why the word came. The word came and it was rejected. So that it may accept us as children of the living God. The purpose that of our Lord Jesus Christ being rejected was to justify us and to adopt us. Core essentials to applying the redemption of our faith. Justification, first of all, as we may know, is an acceptance into righteousness which was imputed to us by Jesus Christ. Let me bring that down. If you didn't have a dollar to your name, you didn't have to worry about it because your bank account was taken care of by Jesus. I, I don't know if somebody can relate to me on that. But but even if you would walk up to the cashier, she would always tell you, don't worry about it. There's It's paid for. And that's the idea. It, we, we can't be labored that enough. But here's the other aspect. You have every right and privilege as an adopted child into God's family. See, this gets to the core of who we think we are. We are treasured possessions. He came for us. This is what the word says to us. And we know this because of what verse 12 says. But all who believe, I mean, who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The coming of Christ is not only transformational for all of creation. He didn't come into the cosmos to blow it up and just simply transform that. He came to transform each and every last one of us. And so the word came to transform us. It came to overwhelm us. See, there's a lot of us that are hopeless. It came to take our hopelessness into hopefulness. See, a lot of us are living lives of meaninglessness. But it came to take our meaninglessness and make it meaningful. It, it, it took those who feel as if I have to sleep around to be accepted 
It says you don't need to sleep around anymore. It took those, our young people, who fall into the peer pressure of their friends and family and feel as if they have to defend themselves with violence. It says you don't have to do that anymore to feel accepted. It came to help those who feel like they need to be initiated, jumped, beaten, and bruised by gang members. It said you don't have to do that in order to be accepted. I just need two or three people to say amen. Because this is what our society is going through. It says you don't have to treat and abuse women because in order to be accepted. You don't have to treat others like uh, unlike yourself in order to be accepted. You don't have to put yourself above others in order to be accepted. You don't have to drug and drink in order to be accepted. You don't need the fanciest cars. You don't need the fanciest house. You don't need the figures in the bank account. You don't need those things in order to be accepted. I may feel a little emotional right now because I know that right now if you knew my story I should not be accepted but Jesus died on the cross so that I may be accepted he died for each of us so that we may be rejected so that he can come to accept us it was Gregory Porter I like jazz I like hip-hop too I like classical music I don't do country I heard it's it's some good listening to that but I, I, I I, I can't get my ears around that just yet But my wife and I, we had the privilege in order to go in to go hear uh, Gregory Porter. He was, a, he was a, he's a, he's a great jazz musician. He's a great jazz vocalist. And Gregory Porter, some would say he's the Nat King Cole of our day, right? Many of y'all may not know who Nat King Cole is, but just go listen to him. Oh, Tenenbaum, oh, Tenenbaum. Right? Uh, we, li- we went with some friends and we, we listened to Gregory Porter. This was like our third or fourth time. We went a couple times in St. Louis. And uh, I just love it every time. And so he had his last album, not the one that just came out. His last album, he had a song called Take Me to the Alley. And Take Me to the Alley is about going into the back streets, into the dark places, in the forgotten places, uh, where people were mistreated and, and ruled differently. And he would think about them. And so he told a story about it. And he said how his mother was a Methodist preacher, and they grew up in uh, California. And she would go out into these forgotten places and preach the gospel and serve these individuals who no one else cared for. And so what Gregory Porter said was during Thanksgiving, what they would do is his mother would make a delicious meal. She would have it all laid out. Y'all know how I like food. Y'all heard my brother a couple weeks ago. He liked food, too. Right. He, he made a delicious. She made, would make a delicious meal. I mean, greens with ham hocks. I'm talking mac and cheese baked wise. I'm talking green beans with pork in it. I'm saying, I, I don't think y'all hear me on this one. I, I, I'm talking German chocolate cake, yams. Some people like sweet potato casserole. That's okay with the mushrooms on top. I, I'm saying, he said that they would have the whole thing spread out. Sweet potato pie, pumpkin pie. They would have the juices all out there. They would have everything laid out. And he said the, his mother would call them to the table. It was eight kids. She was a single mother. And they would wrap arms and they would pray over the food. Everybody would go around praying. And he said that as soon as they got done praying, he was ready to eat the food. But his mother said, wrap it up, baby. <laughs> he hated this part because they would take it to the alley, to the afflicted, to the sick, and to the broken ones. Those that were rejected, mistreated, abused, marginalized, oppressed, and left astray. And they would feed the food to them and the mother would have them bring it home. And they would eat the leftovers. He said, I hated it then, but I can appreciate it now. 
Because he gives us the picture that Jesus, he went to the alley. He was the alley. But he comforted the slick and afflicted. When we realize that we're in that alley, we'll know that we're with Jesus. And the word came to his own. And his own did not receive him. I know many of us in this room want to be accepted. And we have been rejected. But can I tell you that this table, it was made for you. This table was a place in order for you to be accepted. No matter the color of your skin, no matter your pedigree, I don't care if you have a high school diploma, a GED, or a PhD. This table is for you to be accepted. And we understand that Jesus Christ, his body was bruised and broken. So that without bars, no one can hold you from this table. So I ask that each and every last one of us consider the fact that Jesus came to a people who were prone to wonder. To a people who always held their arms up to him and rejected. But as anyone that loves his people so much so he embraced them. Their mess and their junk. Embrace this brokenness and embrace this table as you come. Pray with me. Father, thank you for coming. Thank you for bringing, giving us your word. I pray, Jesus, that we continue to hold on to the fact that you came in order that we may be accepted. And you said that we'll be rejected by society, which is a good thing because that means that if anything were, that's convicting us or causing conflict in our hearts, the very things that we need, for it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.